Uh, I love being here, always. I've been coming to Green Lake, I can't even remember how long I've been coming to Green Lake, but I wouldn't miss Green Lake if I could help it for anything. And it doesn't really matter whether I'm speaking or I'm coming to Green Lake, right? Because you're like my family. So it's always great to be here. There's a young Polish couple that emigrated to Chicago, met each other, got married. They both grew up Catholic, but they drifted away from the Catholic Church. And uh, she was, he was like a disc jockey in clubs. And she was like an artist and a singer in the clubs. And that's what they were doing. And they decided to take a vacation to Florida. And for some reason or other, there was a mix-up on the hotels. And so between the hotels, they decided they had to take all their stuff with them. And they decided to go do a little kayak run down some waterway there in the Keys with all of their belongings, all their clothes, everything that they had. And in the process of trying to take a picture, you guessed it, the kayak dumped over. And everything goes down in the water. And just at the moment the kayak is dipping over, there's a woman along the bank who lives along the bank who had come into her backyard, saw this happening. She starts yelling and screaming. The next thing you know, this woman has dived into the water and is diving down in the water and retrieving all their things. And she brings them up to her house, and they're soaking wet, and everything they have is soaking wet. And so she gives them clothes, finds some clothes that she thinks will fit, gives them clothes, and finds out that they don't actually have a place to go that night. So she says, well, stay at my house. And she, you know, helps them, like, work with everything, you know, and, and just tries to get them set up. And they stay at her house and have dinner. And so she says, I'm going to church in the morning. You want to come with me? And they said, well, after all of that, yeah, sure, we'll come with you. And it was a vineyard church. She was a vineyard person. They walked into the church and immediately felt the spirit of God and started weeping, both of them. Like they cried through the whole thing. So they came back to Chicago and said, we gotta find our vineyard church. <laughs> now whatever they got, we gotta have. We gotta have this. So they turned up at our church. And I talked, it was about three months before I actually met them. They were coming. And when, as soon as they came, they were, they were crying through the whole time. So they were three months in. And the first conversation I had with them, they said, this is the most wonderful thing ever. We know thousands and thousands of Polish people that need this. And in fact, did you know we have a Polish radio station that broadcasts in every country of the world except Poland to all the Polish people who are everywhere. And we want to tell them all about the vineyard. And what's more, we'd like to start one for Polish people. How can we get started? And... You know, when I think back to the very early days of the vineyard, that was the story that kind of got repeated without the kayak <laughs> over and over and over. Like, people would just walk into a vineyard church and they would encounter God. And it was the best thing ever. And they wanted to tell everybody and they wanted to go plant another one so they could tell more people. And that was how we recruited all the early vineyards. Like, it was like you couldn't stop them because they found God when they came. It, was, it wasn't just a church church. It was like a God place. And... You know, um, in January, we will be a, uh, it'll be my 45th year leading my church. 
So. When you start young, you can really pile up some years. I was 23, by the way. All you HLI people over there, that was my second church plant. The first one was 21, so get thinking. Your time's running out. You need to get going. Anyway, at our 40th anniversary, you know, we celebrated and, and uh, got out and talked to the church. And I said, now, there's something really important you all need to understand about this church as we are celebrating our 40th birthday. And that is, this is not the church that I had in mind when we started. It's not the church I had in mind. If this is not the church built by my good ideas. You need to know that. Like, I had a couple good ideas that are still good. Like, I, I did get the idea that relationships are important and small groups are important, and we still do that. And I did get the idea that we didn't have to dress up to go to church anymore, and we still don't. But that was about it. That's what we kept. The rest of it has been a great big surprise. It's not the church that we made, but rather, we are who we are now because God intervened at certain points in our life. Like, that thing in the Bible where Jesus says he's going to build the church isn't just theoretical. It's not just like some figure of speech. It's like reality. He built our church. He made us who we are. If you'd asked me if we could be what we are now back in 1976, I would have said, you're out of your mind. That isn't possible. And looking back, it's just a long journey on the path of miracles. That's the way I look back at it. It's been a miracle journey. Yes, through many troubles, not a few disappointments or betrayals. You know, we've had those. You all know that's part of the package. If that's what happened to our master, why should we be any different? Okay? But it's been a path of miracles. The whole way down. It was the Spirit who made it so. And you know what? I can't imagine trying to lead a church for very long, let alone 45 years, without the tangible visible, experienced action of the Holy Spirit at work in my church. I don't know why I would do this if that wasn't happening. When the Spirit is that visible in the church, when he's working, when people are walking in and finding God and saying, we've got to have this, you don't have to motivate people to come or to Find church planners. They start jumping off the trees. Take us. And it's what's unique about us. The simple truth is it's just really hard to find that anymore. The church in general has drifted more and more into performance. And you know what? That's not what people are looking for. They just want to find God. We should take warning from the words of Jude. I don't know if you guys remember the book of Jude. Most people don't even notice that it's tucked in there because if you just turn the page between the third letter of John and the book of Revelation, you miss Jude. <laughs> but interestingly, Jude, it's, he says, is the brother of James, the brother of Jesus, which basically means Jude was Jesus' brother. 
so he might have something interesting to say. And this is what he says, Jude 17, 19. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you and who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. As leaders, we are not to follow our own desires, nor our natural instincts. Rather, we are to be leaders who are led by the power and the intervention of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not just about praying for the sick and prophesying. It's about how you lead. It's about how you lead. If we only ever operate as leaders by our own instinct, we'll just end up with a church that's built by human will. And most of you will quit before you get very far because it just won't be worth it. But instead, we have to let the Spirit take us beyond our instincts and beyond what we think we can do in our own power and intelligence. The church that I am enjoying now, and I am enjoying it, except for the occasional grumpy person meeting. But I plan to make Ted do all of those going forward. But I'm enjoying the church. But you know what? Um, I'm enjoying it because of all the things that God did that made it that way. Things that I thought were impossible. God took me so far beyond. When God said, I'm going to make your church a multi-racial, multi-ethnic church, and by the time I get done, there won't be a majority group, I had absolutely no idea how that was going to happen. Or even how to navigate it. I said, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do that, given what you have to start with. Like, are you sure you got the right address here? But, yeah, if that's what you want to do, I'm up for the ride. And there were a lot of years I felt like a blind man trying to cross a bridge without falling off. Just crawling across, trying, like, you know, just trying to navigate this thing. I didn't know how to do it, but God did it. And you know what? If, if it's been a long time since you've been out beyond your instincts or what you can think of, well, then I wonder, like, maybe you need to check in. Or, like, where are you at with your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because my, my whole experience with the Holy Spirit is just about the time I get start to get comfortable. Like, he's changing it up. Like, okay. Let's go, let's go a little further. Let's go a little deeper. I got some other surprises up my sleeve. That's how it goes. So I think it's really important that we understand the Spirit's role in leadership. And there are a whole bunch of ways. If you actually look at the book of Acts, there are a bunch of ways that the Holy Spirit shapes the way they lead in the book of Acts. And I want to just point a bunch of these out. Okay, so number one, the Spirit issues the call into mission. It's not like a volunteerism kind of thing. It's drafting. It's a draft. He issues the call. So in Acts 26, the Apostle Paul is describing his call, and he says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, which is like the last words you ever want to hear. <laughs> 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you've seen and will see of me, and I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Abrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Nearly all effective ministry. And after 45 years, I would say nearly all truly effective ministry begins with a supernatural call to that mission. Somehow, some way. Each one is unique, has slightly different characteristics, but there's a supernatural call. And that's certainly how it was in the early days of the vineyard. Like, we were called to this. Like, we were on the ground. For me, three hours on the ground with fire running up and down my body and screaming bloody murder. Yeah. That was just the warm-up. There were booster shots. There was a supernatural call. The Spirit issues the call, and he also issues the timing. 1987, I went with John Wilmer to Ireland. And uh, he started off, uh, we started off in Belfast in the north. And uh, the way it was going to go, they were going to do a big conference in Belfast in the middle of the week. And then we would scatter, because John would take like 200 people. That would be like 20 teams of 20 people, or 10 teams of 20 people. That would make 200. Sometimes it was 400. I think in Ireland it was 200. So like 10 teams. And then we would like scatter to different like kind of local churches and whatnot on the weekends and do like little mini conferences and then on the next week, we would do a big conference down in Dublin. That was the whole plan. And so when I was in Belfast, I got introduced to a young man named Sean Byrne, who was a Catholic from Dublin, from the south, who was leading a little Catholic youth group. And my group had been assigned to spend the weekend with his little Catholic group. And when I met him, the Lord said, I'm going to do something with him. It was just as simple as that. I'm going to do something with him. So I thought, well, if you're going to do something with him, then I'm going to be there when it happens. This is like Elijah and Elisha. You know, like, if God's going to, like, do something big, don't go shopping. <laughs> like, be there. So I thought, I'm going to be there. So, like, I shadowed him. He, he thought something was wrong with me. But, like, every time we were in every meeting, I would sit across the aisle from him so I could keep an eye on what's happening with him. So sure enough, we get down to Dublin to the big conference. Had a nice time with his little Catholic group group. Saw some very nice miracles and stuff like that. But nothing had happened to him yet. I'm still waiting for the big one. And sure enough, we get in like the second session. And during the worship, the power of God falls on him. This guy's just about lifted out of his seat. And he is shaking violently from head to toe. And yelling. And I thought, there it is. <laughs> and I knew he's getting called. He is getting a sovereign call of God. And I wouldn't let anybody touch him. Because as soon as he started yelling, all kinds of people started coming because they wanted to cast a demon out of him. And I just said, get away. <laughs> it's not a demon. Go sit down. <laughs> he's in way bigger trouble than that. <laughs> God's got him. He's in way bigger trouble than a demon, man. Don't touch him. We ended up having to drag him out because he was making too much noise, and they were trying to start the talk. And God, like, worked that guy over for, like, two hours. And he came out of it knowing that he knew 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 God had called him to start a church in Dublin. And he went to Fuller Seminary and got an education there. 
for three years, then came to Chicago, did a two-year internship, and then went back and started the first vineyard church in Ireland. It'll be interesting to know, they had their second annual All-Ireland conference just a couple of weeks ago, and there's like 20-some different churches there now. But it started with somebody who got called by God. A couple of years later, you know, we had the opportunity to maybe start a church in Belfast. And I went there to meet with a group of people, and I was just looking to see, like, is the call of God on anybody? Like, that was the whole question. Like, is the call of God on anybody to actually do this thing? And sure enough, there's this one couple, and when I started talking to them in the kitchen of this house, Spirit of God came on them. They were on the floor of the kitchen, crying and screaming. Whereupon, they picked up, brought their three teenage kids, and came to Chicago and lived with us for a year and learned, and then they went back to Belfast to start another vineyard church. And again, and again, and again, and again. And that's how it's been. We don't do what we do because it's the most convenient or because it's the highest paying career. We do what we do because the Spirit called us into it and we could do nothing else. We were captured, we were ambushed, we were drafted into the work and that's what keeps us going. And if you don't have that sense of call, I don't know how you make it over the long haul. People all the time ask me, how do you make it for 45 years? Well, like, it's simple. Get called by the Holy Spirit in fire and then just never get permission to leave. <laughs> I've wanted to quit a couple thousand Mondays, but <laughs> it wasn't ever on the table. So that's the beginning. And you know what? I just, I, I am asking myself the question, is it still happening? Are we still looking for that? When we think about planting more churches, is it still? I don't understand why, why we aren't having to turn people away. I don't think the problem's on his end. Yeah? The problem's not in the harvest. The harvest, I mean, they're desperate out there. Yeah? They're desperate. So... Like, it's, maybe we're just not setting up the situations where people can get called. Maybe they don't even know that this is, like, part of the story. But it's part of the story. You guys, you need to get your own stories. If I have anything to do with it, we'll start right away. <laughs> I got them in my sights, all 19 of them. Why? Because I'm banking on 40 years of ministry out of them after the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. Yeah? Yeah, that's what I'm banking for. So, that's the no. number two. The Spirit points us to the harvest. Acts 10, beginning at verse 1. At Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius. And I'm not going to read the whole story of Cornelius, but it's this wonderful story. You can look it up. It's on the screen. God, like, sets up this matchmaking thing. He appears to Cornelius, say, you need to go find Peter, and then tells Peter, there's a guy named Cornelius. You need to go with him. And he gets them matched up together. Peter goes to Cornelius, it's his house, only because the Holy Spirit set it up, and he's just trying to be obedient. And he gets there, and there's an immediate big harvest. The Spirit of God falls, and he suddenly realizes the Holy Spirit is coming on the Gentiles. God directed them to the harvest. And in your church, God will direct you to the harvest. You don't like have to like stumble around trying to figure out where the harvest is. Do I need to say that again? You don't need to stumble around needing to find out where the harvest is. If you will pray and look and ask the Holy Spirit, he knows where the harvest is. And he will take you to the harvest. So a few years back, we didn't know where the harvest was. We'd just gotten into our new building, and all of a sudden, people started calling us up out of the blues saying, what time is your Spanish service, which we didn't have one. 
And it wasn't just one, but there was like another one, and then another one, and then another one. And the receptionist, after a day of getting like six of them in a row, started, she got a script, so if they only spoke Spanish, she knew what they were asking and what she could say to them. And she started keeping hashtags, and after 20 days, we had like 30 calls. And I said, you know what, I think God's trying to tell us something. Like, he's like trying to point us to the harvest. There's a harvest here. Let's do something. So I thought, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's find some people who speak Spanish. We had two leaders who spoke Spanish. And so I said, hey, guys, would you like, I, this is what's happening. I think God's directing us. You want to try a one-year experiment to see if we can start a Spanish bridge? You can get people to agree to anything if you tell them it's a one-year experiment, by the way. <laughs> That was 11 years ago. <laughs> so they said, sure, we'll try it for a year. And, you know, they don't have enough room to set all the people, and half of all our baptisms are coming from that congregation. All right? So, like, God's directed to the harvest. And I, you know what I'm thinking right now? I think when, when those Polish people land on my lap, I'm thinking, hmm. I, it's like he's lining up the next one. He's starting to say to us, you know what? Lapsed Polish Catholics, there's a harvest to be had. I bet you got some in northern Minnesota, you know, in, I mean, like these states that we're in, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Illinois, we got a lot of them, don't we? A ton of lapsed Roman Catholics. And if they're not Polish, they're German or Norwegian or something, you know, lapsed Lutherans, they'll do. They can kind of come on. <laughs> You need to be asking God where the harvest is. Because, you know, a lot of times there are hidden people that we don't know about or that we haven't thought about or that we wrote off some time ago. It might not be the people you were thinking or expecting, but that's where the fruitfulness is find. And so, like, I really think it's important when you're, like, sitting down and you're trying to strategize for your church, one of the questions you need to ask is, where is God doing a harvest now? And then pour everything you can into that. Go for that one. Like, I, I don't know. I, it's hard enough, so let's go for the easy ones if, when we get a chance. Number three, the Spirit puts the teams together. Acts 13, 1 to 3. You know, the Holy Spirit, there's, there's all these leaders in Antioch, prophets and teachers and they name them all, and then while they're worshiping, God puts this team together. The Holy Spirit speaks and says, Barnabas and Paul, they need to go. This is, they need to be sent off. God puts the teams together. So in our early years of our church, we uh, didn't have any kids. When, when we first started, we were all a bunch of white, young college students who just graduated, finished school, and, of course, as inevitably, people got married, they started having kids, so then we had kids. So then we needed to have a kids' ministry. And we had this seminarian who was coming to our church, and we had this one need, this one staff spot for, you know, a half-time position for kids. So he said, I'll do it, and so we hired him to do the kids. And after a year, he came back to him and says, you know, I don't think I'm called to the kids. <laughs> In fact, I'm not even sure I'm called to be a pastor. I think I'm going to go be a counselor. <laughs> So then we realized, oh, we can't like just have a fill-in kind of person. We need a person that's really called by God to the kids. Yeah? Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't want to, you don't want somebody who's like just there to just fill in or looking for a step or just wants to work for the church somehow. Like you want somebody who's like called by Jesus to kids. So then we decided, well, we're not going to advertise in the church. We're not going to tell people in the church that we're looking. We're going to pray and see if God will call somebody. We're going to wait for God to call somebody. So we didn't tell the church that we're even looking. We didn't post a job. We prayed. Well, the time started running down to when he was leaving. I started getting pretty desperate. I was lying on the floor crying out to God. 
about ready to start fasting, which I hate fasting. <laughs> By the way, you'll appreciate, when we did, we called our whole church to join the fast at the vineyard day, you know, at the end of the summer. I fasted from Dr. Pepper, and if you know that, that's a really big deal. <laughs> so, anyway, we're getting down to it, and there's this meeting uh, like a bunch of people just get together for after church for um, soup at somebody's house. So we're there, and there's like 30 people in the room, and we're all having soup and bread. And, and somebody says, let's go around, and let's all tell each other the dreams we have for our lives that we've never told anybody. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, who's going to do that? But I wasn't in charge, and I didn't want to be a killjoy, so I just kept it to myself. So they started going around the room. And it comes to this one African-American lady, Eloise McKittrick at the time. She's gotten married. Her name is McDowell. Some of you know her. But she was, you have to understand, she was, at that point in time, a vice president at Kraft General Foods. She was up there. She had a PhD. They picked her up in a limousine to take her to work every day so she wouldn't have to, like, expend any energy driving. <laughs> and she was driving a Mercedes. And I don't know what she was getting paid, but I imagine it was pretty good. And we get to her, and she says... Well, my dream for my life is I'd like to work for Steve. And I think it might have something to do with kids. <laughs> I nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> I thought, could this be God? <laughs> Does God love us that much? Is this even possible? And then I, like, go through this week, and I'm thinking, okay, like, how am I going to raise the subject with her? Like, Eloise, we would like to invite you to this salary that we have to offer. <laughs> this downwardly from, you know, and I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. And I, so it's Sunday afternoon now. I'm really getting desperate. And I said to God, God, if you want her to come and do this, you're going to have to tell her yourself. Because <laughs> I, just, I just can't do it. I can't ask anybody to make that kind of sacrifice. And so, I, was, I, I mean, I, the words weren't out of my mouth more than 15 seconds when the phone rings. And it's her. And she says, I just felt like I had to call you right now. And she says, all this week, I've been having two dreams over and over again. I felt like the Lord said I needed to talk to you so you could interpret my dreams. <laughs> and I said, tell me, because I'm thinking now, it's working. <laughs> it's wor <laughs> this is going to work. <laughs> sure enough, the first dream. There's an airplane trying to take off from Chicago, but there's a missing part at her parents' house in Kentucky, so it has to taxi down the highway to Kentucky to get the missing part so it can get off the ground. Is that, like, not obvious? Like, she's the missing part that comes from her mother's house? And the second dream is Jesus takes her into her grandmother's house and takes her into the basement, and it's filled with children, and he says, pray over them. And I didn't even, I just, I just said, you don't know, but... What's his name resigned? And we've been praying for months for God to call somebody to be our children's pastor. And she started screaming on the other end of the line. <laughs> and she left the limousine and the position and the money and came and was our children's pastor for over 20 years. So when we needed to look for my replacement, I said, I said to the Lord, 
I just, we had a bunch of criteria, and I said, I, just, I don't want just somebody that fills the criteria. Like, I want somebody called by God. I want somebody really called by God. Like, somebody everybody will know is called by God. Yeah. So I was praying, God, you need to call somebody. And then I had all my criteria. And I was, I was a little nervous about it because I know the vineyard pretty well. I make it my business to know who's up and coming in the vineyard. And I knew two people that I thought could fit that position. Gina was one of them. And he said no to me. <laughs> just, just for the record, Gina turned me down. But that's because he was already called. <laughs> Which I kind of thought was going to happen because I thought, yeah, God's already got him. So, you know, once. So it's kind of a long shot. And then there was this other guy, Ted Kemp. And then before I could even, like, start pursuing it one day, Ted texted me and said, I need to talk. So he calls me up, and he talks for 45 minutes and starts talking about how God's been speaking to him and how about how he needs to leave worship and start leading his own church and, and how he's, his wife keeps saying to him, I don't want to raise our kids in Syracuse, New York. Why are we here? I want to go back to Chicago. Why are we not in Chicago already? And... Then he got like 15 prophetic words that this was about to happen, and two people actually had dreams of him coming and leading our church. And I said, well, actually, Ted, we've been praying about this for a while, and maybe you'd like to come and take over. And so now he's with us. And, you know... You know, there are not many decisions as important as putting your main team together, right? You all got to have a main team. And when you put that team together, getting the right team is more than half of the battle. And if you got the wrong person on the team, it's ugly. It's ugly. So you want to get the right person. And the thing is, like Samuel with Jesse and his sons, our first impressions are often wrong. A good resume is not enough. A close relationship is not enough. You should be holding out for the ones appointed by God. Jesus is still in the business of building his church. And I think if you will wait upon God and pray... He will supernaturally put together the teams that you need with people that are genuinely called by God. And when they're called by God, they don't quit when it gets hard. Yeah? Yeah. For the Spirit sets a strategy. Acts 16. Story of Paul and his companions. They're traveling through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They're trying to go to Asia, and he says, no. When they come to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Another no, no. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And then during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you know that we can have good ideas that God doesn't want? I mean, here is the Apostle Paul who has some good ideas, and God has him no. Like, even the Apostle Paul had good ideas, and God said, no, that's not what the plan that's not what I want. You can have good ideas that God isn't in. But God does have a strategy. And usually it's a lot better than ours. We need to start living by two prayers. What are you doing, Father? What are you doing, Father? And Father, may I? May I have permission? Before you like pull the trigger on the new idea, the new plan, the new thing, the new magic bullet, 
ask permission. Father, may I? And I'll tell you, over 45 years, we've had to work out a lot of the arrangements and lots of tactics, but honestly, between you and me, the only strategies that ever really mattered, that ever really amounted to anything, were the ones that were initiated by the Holy Spirit. My good ideas weren't worth that much. Honestly. But his ideas were everything. Just absolutely everything. In almost every instance, the thing that came about was either completely without our decision or spoken directly to me as the lead pastor. And that's a lot about how it works in the, in the Bible. God, like, has a vision and a strategy, and he gives it to the person who's going to implement it. But you sometimes have to wait for that strategy to come. You have to wait upon the Lord so you can get the strategy. And I just think, you know, sometimes we're just, I, I wonder how often, like, we skip that part and we go straight to the consultant or the expert, the business person. But we've skipped the part about crying and waiting on the Spirit and seeing what he has for us. I just think if we're going to be people of the Spirit, then let's be people of the Spirit in this as well. Let him set our strategy. There might be some really interesting things that come out of that. God still gives visions and dreams. He does. All right. Five, the Spirit inspires the sermons. If you read the book of Acts, there's a whole bunch of sermons in there, and almost every one of the sermons, it starts with, and so-and-so, filled with the Holy Spirit, got up and said, thus and so and thus and so. There's like a direction of the Holy Spirit. One of the interesting things I've noticed, talking to vineyards now around the country, is surprisingly, a, God spoke last winter and spring to a whole bunch of vineyard churches that they needed to preach about the Holy Spirit this fall. Huh, I wonder why. So that's been our practice for many years, to like plan far ahead. Like, just because you come up with something on Saturday night doesn't mean it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It just means it's unprepared. <laughs> the Spirit of God knows what's coming plenty ahead of time. You can get that word from him a year ahead, and then you can actually do a decent job of preparing. The difference is what? Taking the time to ask. Tell me, Lord, where you're going and what, you, what we need to do in the future. Like, if he's called you to be the pastor, he'll tell you. He'll give you the tools. He'll tell you where you need to go. And you won't believe how many times people say, what you preach today was exactly what I needed to hear this week. And I'm thinking, yeah. And we decided that we were going to do it 12 months ago. And we put down the date. Because we listened to God and got a direction and planned it out. The Spirit of God protects the church. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, the Spirit of God intervenes, reveals their deception, protects the church. The Spirit of God will protect the church. If you're listening. So this is now like 25 years ago. We had a pastor that we had hired, a new person that we didn't know super well. And uh, I used to, in those days, we were still meeting in the high school. We didn't have our own building. We were still meeting in the high school. And they had a long hallway to get into the auditorium. So I used to stand out in that hallway and greet people on the way in. And one Sunday, I'm standing out there greeting people. And he comes in with his wife. And as he walks in the door, the Spirit of God hits me so hard, I almost fell over on the floor. And he was saying, he committed adultery last night. And it's so strong, I almost said out loud, what have you done? But I didn't. I just said, oh God, please let it not be true. <laughs> let me be wrong, please, this one time. But, of course, I wasn't wrong. You know, a couple months later, there's a woman popped up, and she said, yeah, they, they're, you know, there were this, these things that happened, and he took me to a hotel. Want to guess the night that he took her to the hotel was? 
the Saturday night before that Sunday. It was like the exact date. So like I had no problem believing our story. God revealed it. Why does he do that? Because it's to protect the church. And you know what? Generally in all of these kind of cases where there's some kind of uh, offense against integrity or morality on the part of leaders, when you get in after the fact, and I've been on a sort of more than a few mud cleanup crews, it turns out that a whole bunch of people were warned ahead of time and had a feeling something was going wrong, and they ignored it. And so what I want to say to you is, like, don't ever dismiss the gut warnings that God gives you, especially if you're the senior pastor of your church. Like, he will speak to you and protect the church, but you have to pay attention. And if you're not sure or if you don't have evidence, you pray for God to reveal the truth. And God will reveal the truth. You can't believe what God will do to reveal the truth. You'll have your evidence. Okay? Um, and I can tell you all kinds of miraculous stories of people who were trained to hide the truth and how God exposed them. So just so you know, I'm praying on all of you that if you wander, you'll be caught. So it's probably just not a good idea to start down that road at all. Just deal with your stuff now. Number seven, the Spirit can interrupt our meetings. And I love this. Acts 16. 14, 8 to 10, and Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, and he had been that way from birth and had never walked, and he listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet, and at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Like, there was just a moment in the middle of the talk. Apparently, it appears to be in the middle of his speech, of his sermon, in the middle of the sermon, where the Spirit of God falls on this guy, and the healing is ready to happen right then and there, and he just stops and calls it out. And it happens right there in front of the whole church. And what I want to say is, you have to learn to sense the Spirit falling on the meeting, and to sense when faith is rising, or when somebody like that has faith to be healed, and you have to seize the moment. You, sometimes it's, it has to be right away. I, some of you were in Dayton. Remember when Debbie got up and she was getting ready to start the ministry time and I was running to the stage? Any of you there that remember this? They were like, I've never seen Steve run like that. <laughs> because there was like something she said that I knew we had to do in the ministry time and it had to happen right away. So I was running up there to tell her that, you know, or uh, there was a couple Sundays ago, we were in the middle of the communion time. So people are in the line, they're going up to communion, you know, and I love watching them go up to communion because I get to see them all. And there's like all these people from 55 different nations of the world and old and young and in between and all the mixes. And it's just like, it's the most glorious thing just to see them all going up to take communion together. It's just, it's, it just lifts my heart to heaven every time. And so we're just sitting there watching them, and Ted's sitting next to me, and we start, we were, we're in the middle of talking. I, I was saying something to him about I, who knows what. And uh, boom, I felt the spirit fall. I said to him, the spirit of God just fell in the room. Just now, I just felt it. And so it's sort of like, we look around to see like what's going on, and ended up, Calling them, kind of slowing the meeting down. Like, went, went up to the band, like, stay, wait. Don't move to the next thing. And just waited for the Lord. And one of our longtime members, who hasn't done this in 30 years, came up with a prophetic word that was perfect for the people that led into a wonderful ministry time right in the middle of this thing. And... You know, we came out of that and just felt like, yeah, God is still working. He's working with us. There's, this, there's something about, it doesn't have to be like that every Sunday. You don't have to, like, blow your deadline with the kids. You know, you just change the rest of it. You know, sing one less song. You know, whatever. 
you know, like we have, we have to go back and forth between two campuses, so like everything has to be within five minutes. We were still able to do it. Um, but there's this, there, there has to be this ability to recognize when the Spirit's moving in the room and go with it. And this is really important for pastors and worship leaders. Worship leaders, when the Spirit of God falls and you sing that line and it's on fire, the room starts vibrating. Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't like rush to the next thing. Like sing that thing again. Like stay there for a minute. Like even just 30 seconds, some wonderful things can happen. If you just stay there for a minute. Um, but you have to be able to see it and feel it. And you know, <laughs> one of the HLI guys was telling, asking me this morning, he says, like, you know, talk to me about vineyard values in worship. And I said, well, it's about experiencing God in the worship, but let me tell you what that's about. And then I started talking about, you know, the people who are coming in and they cry as soon as they walk in the door because God is there and, and God interrupts the meetings. And there's these moments when it's just like God is in the room and we're all like, like we were... We were in there for a little bit tonight. We're all over the room. God is touching us. And the, the thing I loved is, you know, Ted didn't rush us through that. You know, uh, he capped us there and let it, let, give it some time for the Holy Spirit to do in us what he's doing. Um, I think you, you have to be not just permitting that, but looking for that. Uh, number eight, and this is the last one, the Spirit sets us in families of churches. We came into the vineyard because the Holy Spirit told us like 30 different ways that he was calling us to be in the vineyard. Like it was a supernatural thing. And when I was on the ground screaming with fire in my body, it was like, you are going to be in the vineyard. God called me into this family. It's not about, you know, this is the family that gives me the most money. Like, no, if you want money, be a Presbyterian. <laughs> In a suburb. A good suburb. <laughs> you know, there's... No, it was not about that. It wasn't like I taught it up some bunch of, you know, pros and cons. It was like God called us to this. And it's, so it's my family. Like, if they don't ask me to do something, does it cease to be my family? You know, like, I've, I've literally seen people, like, leave the vineyard because they didn't ask them to speak at the regional conference. Like, I'll be, I'll be here every time whether they ever ask me again because you're my family. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if this is your family, it's your family. Like, you don't change your family because they gave you cabbage one night. So my feeling is, you know, you should be in this family because God called you. And if God called you to be in this family, then, like, do the family things. Like, go to the meetings. You know, Gino knows. I come to the meetings. You know, once in a while I miss because I have to be out of town, but mostly I come to the meetings. I come, you know, go to the meetings. Pay your 3% or whatever it ends up being. You know, if they asked me for 5%, I'd say, okay, whatever. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. If they asked me for 10%, I'd say, whatever. Why? Because it's just money. What's money compared to family? Right? It's only money. And, you know, my experience is, you know, when you give to God on the money front, it always comes back anyway, right? 
So I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like, do it. Like, join a missions partnership because that's how we do missions partnership. Like, get in a missions partnership. Like, just do the family stuff and start feeding the poor because that's what we do and taking care of refugees all over the world, everywhere I go, from South America to the Middle East to Europe. I've been to all of them, Australia. Vineyard churches take care of the poor and the refugees. This is what we do. We're all out there. It doesn't matter whether we're small town Wisconsin. I love the stories from Chippewa Falls. Like, well, they, they're like t- t- tackling the whole town. And, you know, I, I realized, you know, talking to them, like, you know, it's kind of like they're dealing with re- rural issues and we're dealing with urban issues, but actually our people are pretty much in the same boat. Um, but they're out there doing it, you know. So that's the family stuff. So um, I think when we do that, it opens a door to the family legacy. Like, you don't, like, get the family legacy and then, like, not do the family stuff, right? Like, we got to do it. So I think there's some things you need to start doing, or if you haven't been doing them already. Start listening and asking for more permission in prayer. Just listening. Always be looking and asking for what is the Spirit doing now. Learn how to wait, which I talked to you about at the summer conference. Regularly invite the Spirit and His power in your church. Like, have you even done a healing one anytime recently? For your people, say, so like, know the basics. I was in a vineyard church not that long ago. And I called a bunch of people out that I said, the Spirit of God's on that person, the Spirit of God's on that person, the Spirit of God. Nobody moved. Nobody did anything. And the guy that was traveling with me says, what's wrong with those people? At our church, if you called out somebody and said there was a Spirit of God was on them, there'd be like 25 people trying to get in on that. Like, they'd be surrounded with people. Well, it's just a reflection like they, aren't, they haven't taught people. You have to, you know, your church is going to turn over about Every three to five years, almost entirely new people. So you have to keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again. you got to teach the basics. Then have special settings where you can have more time and freedom. There, you, know, you don't have that much time and unlimited freedom on Sunday morning because if you blow the deadline on the kids' church, you'll never get another kids' church volunteer again. <laughs> so that's not good. <laughs> that doesn't work. So you have to kind of respect that deadline at the other end. But, you know, you can have other, other times and places. So this fall, we've had two Holy Spirit nights at our church. We just say Ted and Steve are hosting a Holy Spirit night. That's all we said. And it's real simple, like 20, 25 minutes of worship, and then about a 10-minute meditation on the Holy Spirit, and then just ministry. Just all out, no holds barred ministry. And the first meeting, we set up for like 80 people to come and 120 people crowded into this tiny little room. They were, we put more people in that room than you could possibly get without people sitting in laps. And the Spirit of God was there. So powerfully. I remember there's one little nine-year-old boy. He came with his parents, and the Spirit of God came on him so strong, he didn't want to come out. He was like off with Jesus, and he did not want to come out. Like, I'd come up and talk to me, and he'd kind of reluctantly open his eyes and talk to him, tell me what's happening. Even right to the end, going home, he's against the back wall, and he's just basking in the presence of God and doesn't want to leave. A nine-year-old boy. The next day, he's, his mom finds him out in the garden. And what's he doing? Reading his Bible. Because he's just like... He's got a whole new experience with Jesus. That's the kind of stuff that was happening. And, you know, like, so you know, we've got to do that again. And so the next week, we set up another room. Like, we created a whole new, bigger room. And we put up 120 chairs. Want to know how many people came? 150 people came. Because they're, I said this this summer. Folks, the wind is coming. Just starting. Just the beginning. Some of you are starting to feel this. I know some of the Ladinas have been reporting. They're feeling the wind. The wind is coming, but it's not anything like what's coming. So you need to like get your get your sails up. Get your sails up and get ready to go with the run. Like get get these get this stuff happening. 
five, start putting teams and leaders into place by first giving God time to act. Like, look for, look for the supernatural to happen. Um, and then this is the last thing. Back when we first encountered the vineyard, we'd been praying for a revival for years, and nothing had happened. And when we encountered the vineyard, it was like, boom, the Holy Spirit just came in huge thing to our little church. People were overwhelmed by the power of God. They were started every meeting, every small group meeting. They were praying for each other and falling and shaking, and people were confessing their sins and making their relationships right, and it was glorious, glorious. And we got together as the leaders, our leadership team, and the Lord spoke to us prophetically, and he says, okay, you got your revival, but if you want it to last, you're going to have to give the church back to me. And then he says, you guys, you've only ever let anything happen in this church that you hadn't figured all out ahead of time. And he says, I want you to give it back to me. Now, you have to understand, I started this church so I could have a church I liked. Like, I didn't start my church for all the lost. Mm -mm. I started that church for me. Because I wanted to have a church where I didn't have to dress up in suits anymore and we could have small groups and sing with guitars, which we fulfilled the extent of my vision on the first Sunday. <laughs> so when God said, give the church back to me, like, I didn't want to do it. I thought, wait a minute. What if I give the church back to God? What if he changes it and I don't like it? What will he do? Because he didn't say what he was going to do. He just said, I want you to sign a blank check. I want you to give the church back to me, and after you give it back to me, I'll tell you what we're doing. But I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to say to Jesus, no, I'm going to keep your church for myself. So really, through gritted teeth, I said, okay, we're going to give the church back to you, whatever. And... That was the beginning of all the crazy stuff. I mean, when the day that Bill retired, the last day, we met with the staff. We looked at each other, and we laughed. We said, man, this little project we started really got out of hand, didn't it? <laughs> it just... <laughs> it really got out of hand because we gave it back to God, and he just, like, blew our you know, limits off. Took us so far beyond anything we could have imagined or asked or sought for or asked for. But you have to give the church back to him. And you know, the thing about it is when you're giving the church back to him, and this is true where your ministry, you got to give your ministry back to you. Some of you are here, you're leading ministries. You want this as much in your ministry as you do anywhere else. But you got to give back to God. And some of you, it's just your life you got to give back to God, put him in control. And that's a challenge because, you know, we, we get afraid. We get nervous when we have to wait and pray and fast. About, well, let's see, when was it? October 2nd, just about exactly a month ago, Rick sent me a of a prophetic word for us. I've been sitting on it for a month because it's like, it's for tonight. So I want to share this word from Rick. And uh, he says, uh, I woke up this morning with the sense that God wanted to break off a spirit of control from some of the pastors and leaders at Green Lake Conference. After praying about it, I felt like it was something I should share with you. This is a bit of an overflow from the National Conference in the sense of how Jesus does only what he sees the Father doing and that we too are called to do the same. The sense is that God wants to bring freedom for leaders who have recently or over the past few years strayed away from dependence on God specifically in their leadership. 
The shift has been to a dependence on rhythms and methods and natural logic and natural insight that have worked or not worked in the past. And what is being highlighted is when these normally good things have been used without faith as a crutch. God's heart, I sense, is to declare a dependence on recommitting to his leadership guided by the Spirit. Break strongholds of control and to pray against the principalities over this specific realm of control. The result, I pray, is a renewal and dependence of God in these areas. And I say amen.